I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Hello everyone, welcome to Go and Do. This is the lesson that will cover 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. And um, we'll talk about the need for an atonement to redeem us from both spiritual and physical death, that the atonement is infinite and available to all. We'll talk about the how the resurrection is necessary for a full redemption. To be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is eternal life. And that the simplicity of the gospel keeps the expectations of our Heavenly Father very clear. Um, I'm Daniel. And I'm Feely. I'm Steve. Yeah, we're joined by Steve Black um, to share us some of his insights and perspectives on these chapters that we have in Second Nephi. So, um, in this, these verses, as I when I listened to them in my car, and then I went back and read several, looked for several verses that stuck out to me again, and uh, what came to my mind was the the talk by President Hills or Elder Hills, um, that was waiting upon the Lord. And uh, one of the key verses that to me, just right off the bat on chapter 6, verse 7, he's quoting Isaiah. And he's talking about, well, in verse 6, he, he says, uh, Thus saith the Lord, behold, I would lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up a standard to the people. And so he's talking about the gathering of Israel again. And then in 7, at the end, um, it says, I am the Lord, for they that shall not for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And that to me kind of became a little bit of like the theme hmm. of, of a lot of these of them quoting Isaiah was the Lord has delivered us in the past, will deliver us again in the future. And waiting on the Lord always pays off. Kinda of like it's gonna be hard. It, it won't always be easy to do. But it's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll make it worth your while in the end. You know, <laughs> and and uh, the first section, well, actually, at the beginning of the lesson, it gives us a, a really nice summary. Kind of, it, it begins with saying, it had been at least 40 years since Lehi's family left Jerusalem. They were in a strange new land, half a world away from Jerusalem and the rest of God's covenant people. Lehi had died. And his posterity had already started what would become a centuries-long con- centuries contention 
a long war with each other. <laughs> In these circumstances, Jacob, who was Nephi's younger brother, who was ordained a teacher for the Nephites, wanted the covenant people to know that God would never forget them, and they must never forget him. This is the message we surely need in our world today, where covenants are belittled, belittled and revelation rejected. And then uh, it kind of says, among those promises, none is greater than the promise of an infinite atonement. And that that's really what stuck out to me. I mean, the the first three chapters, six through eight, there's a lot of promises, and he mentions that the Lord will be merciful with the people. Um, we learn about the redeeming love of the Savior. But chapter nine, man, that's like if if you had to give someone ten chapters from the Book of Mormon, this would be one of them. Absolutely, you know, it's just so solid, and we learn so much about the gospel from it that. We don't ha we don't really get anywhere else, or not not as clearly defined. So, not not to discount six through eight, they're great too. But chapter nine is just a heavy hitter. Yeah, well, I mean, chapters six through eight. That's it's when you're talking about Isaiah. There's so many people that go, "Come again?" Like I don't <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. But when you mentioned promises, one thing that I really loved about that is this is what stuck in my mind. The Lord will never, man always can break the promises to one to another, but the, the Lord will never break a promise to his people Yeah. if you're righteous. And I was like, that's the end, done. Yeah. I thought that was amazing that he would say, that. It, it says that. I thought it was fantastic. Well, yeah, it's like, if the promise is made, if it's written in the scriptures that the prophet says, the Lord says such, it's... It's bond, you know, yeah. his word is his bond. He will follow through with that for both good and bad on your case, right? Yeah. He says, if you do good, you'll get this. If you do bad, you'll get this. And it it makes it really unambiguous where he stands, you know? <laughs> no, let me throw this one thing out there. <clears throat> Oftentimes, when we speak about promises and the Lord and covenants, People can feel like it's an exclusive club. Israel was an exclusive club. The chosen of the, the elect of God, an exclusive. And that is not the case. The Lord wants everyone and will give everyone an opportunity to receive him. One way or another. You know, and, and I often feel sometimes a little bit of pride creeps in. Sometimes when people are like, oh, we have the truth, poor them. And, and it's like, I don't know. But in verse 17, in First Nephi chapter 17, I know I keep going back to behind the lesson, behind the lesson. Um, verse 17, uh, verse 35, Nephi says something to Lemon and Lemuel that I absolutely love. And he says, well, we start in verse 34. Do ye suppose that our fathers would have been more choice than they if they had been righteous, I say unto you, Nay. Behold, the Lord esteemeth all flesh in one. He, he that is righteous is favored of God. And he's talking about the children of Israel and, and the Canaanites and how they were driven out and, and, and so forth. And, and but his whole I, point there is that 
yeah, the righteous are favored of God, but he wants everyone to be righteous. Right. So it's not that there's some that are inherently above others. And there's not like a royalty. <laughs> there's no aristocracy in the gospel. It's, look, there might be the chosen people, but he wants everyone to involve And they're only the chosen, chosen as they keep the commandments. As soon as they don't keep they lose it. Ouch. But that was the whole plan of our Heavenly Father, that all come back to him. So, you're right. Are there going to be those that are going to stray? For absolutely, but that's why chapter nine came into play, and I was like, "Kaboom, done!" <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. So yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was, I was always like, I was, I was very uh, emotional when I read when I read chapter nine. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, as you were saying that, I thought two quick things. One was a parable of the lost sheep. Right, and then the parable of the laborers. That hmm. that either I leave the ninety nine and go get that one, or some will come back and some come at the twelfth hour, and they all get the same reward. And I think we like we live in a very exclusive world, you know, <laughs> where you need this pass or you need this NFL ticket to watch that show. You know, you know everything has a thing. Do you and, have the subscription to watch this streaming service? And <laughs> and even you know something as good as the sacrament is given to us weekly. The sacrament, you know, and and I and I think everything that the Lord loves, He creates in abundance. Um, let's talk about the atonement. Because there's a there's a lot covered in chapter nine. It talks about how the atonement is infinite, and I don't know. It's hard for our mortal brains to wrap around what that means. Infinite atonement. We can kind of understand that it's all encompassing, or that nothing is excluded. But I was gonna say, should we just read the whole chapter? Let's just, <laughs> just read, read, read it out loud. I'm just kidding. No, it's almost because it's like I I was highlighting and then I, I like almost highlighted everything. <laughs> well, it was it was pretty funny because yeah, I started marking stuff and then it was like every verse was pretty much marked. But I think it's interesting that with he makes an, a a very clear point that without a resurrection, the atonement would be incomplete because the fall brought into the world a physical death and a spiritual death and the atonement erases both of those through the suffering in gethsemane and the dying on the cross and the resurrection but without that resurrection step it's kind of like we've been atoned for but there's no restoration you know there's no completion of the act we're not fully redeemed until that resurrection happens. And I thought that was really interesting that he would begin by pointing that pointing that out pretty early on in that chapter. I really like in verse 5 where it says at the beginning, at the middle of the verse, where it says, For it behooveth the great creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh and die for all men that all men might become subject unto him. And I often think of like the characteristics of a really good leader is the one that is not in the back, but is in the front. And our Savior, I mean, he he suffered himself to become subject 
to our loss, to our wrong judgment, to everything so that he could understand us, so that we would never have an excuse to say, you know what, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> yeah. And and that's one of the hardest things. Sometimes when you're in a hard, in a dark place, going through a hard time, one of the things you get bombarded with is the sense that you're alone and no one really understands you. And and that is a real thing. And I, I have been there. But the beautiful thing about what makes the Savior powerful is he knows how to succor his people. He knows how to help us. I think in, in chapter 9, um, I believe it's verse 12, it says, And this death of which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead, which the spiritual death is hell. Wherefore death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits of men will be restored one to another, and it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. This is, I mean, there, there's a lot of talk about souls and stuff, but he's very clearly defining the soul of man as being a joining of a spirit and a body. And that's a lot of times, you know, discussed in different philosophies, different religions. Where is the consciousness of a, of a person? Um, if it's just a biological machine, how does it know that it's its own thing? How does it know that it's an individual? Well, he basically breaks it down right there. There's a body and there's a spirit, and they separate upon death, right? And that spirit and the body are rejoined again in the resurrection. Well, in verse 4, he says, I know that ye know that our flesh must waste away and die. Nevertheless, in our bodies we shall see God. Yeah. Why is that important? Why is it important that we get our body back before the judgment? Well, doesn't it say something along the lines? If I remember right, you'll you will be you will remember everything that you've committed, whether it be done in righteousness or uh, what verse yeah. is that in? Fourteen. Fourteen. Verse fourteen. Oh, yep, that's the one. Yeah, perfect I mean, knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanness. And their nakedness and the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness being clothed with purity. Yeah, even with the robe of righteousness. It's interesting, though, because couldn't we remember things without our body? Wouldn't our spirit have a recollection? True, but the, the spirit and the body, they, I mean, the body is all touch, feel, senses. So in my opinion, uh, well, it's... If Christ didn't have a body, how would he have been able to bleed from every pore? Mm -hmm. So I think that body is a necessity to receive that judgment because you, you will have those senses, those memories, those actions that you did. And it's going to be perfect, which unfortunately is going to suck if you don't repent. <laughs> well, that verse, verse 14, there can be... That can draw fear, mm -hmm. or it can draw optimism and hope. Let me let me ask you guys this question. It it asks us in here. Oh, it's down here. It says in the second sec section of the of the lesson where it's entitled it's titled "Through His Atonement, Jesus Christ Delivers All People from Physical and Spiritual Death." 
It says, what words or images would you use to communicate to someone our desperate need for a Redeemer to rescue us from death and sin? If you read a little bit into that as well, like the the analogy that Elder Holland gave. Did you read that about the rock climber? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was really big into rock climbing <laughs> before I had all my car accidents. And that hit so close to home because when you are going up something so steep and you've never been on something, you don't know the terrain and you're pretty much slipping and someone comes down to grab you, there's nothing, there's no better feeling, no better feeling than knowing, you know what? It might be a struggle to get up and you're going to be scared falling down, but bam, I'm there to get you. And if, I mean, if you could just record that, that, just that little section that Elder Holland gave, hmm. it was phenomenal. I, I, that really hit, hit home. I had a really good death. Because there's moments in our lives when we kind of have that feeling that we're slipping. It may not be physically rock climbing, but we kind of feel like normally I'm, a, normally I'm better than this, but lately I've just been having a hard time. And I'm trying my best, but I just feel like I'm not quite there. And I think that that's in those moments when the Lord sees our efforts and says, I'm going to reach down and, and grab you so that you don't end up falling. Or it might be even someone else around us that is his hands here on earth for us. Some, he's working through someone else, a friend or a family member or you know, someone who's been assigned to minister to us or something like that, that they're like, I notice you've been having a hard time. What's going on? Let's talk about it. And they're in that simple act they're reaching down and grabbing you and saying i'm not gonna let you fall you know you might be slipping but i'm on firm ground right now maybe later i'm gonna be slipping and you're gonna need to do the same thing to me but i'm gonna grab you and i'm gonna pull you up yeah i i like verse 18 where it says but behold the righteous the saints of the holy one of israel they who have believed in the holy one of israel they who have endured the crosses of the world and despised the shame of it, they shall inherit the kingdom of God, which was prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and their joy shall be full forever. And then in 20 it says, and he, you know, he says, Oh, how great the holiness of our God, for he knoweth all things, and there is not anything save he knows it. And I, in my mind, I picture... I picture us like a bunch of toddlers going through an obstacle course. And in this obstacle course, there's nails and things, and we're going to get cut. And there's a physician, a doctor, right there. And we ran past him. And we said, no, I can do it. I can do it. And because and, and, I, I, I don't know, I, I just I often feel like when I'm hurt, when I need the Savior more, the biggest temptation is not to go to Him. Or either I can tough it out, or this is insignificant. Or even oftentimes we think, oh, my problem, it's embarrassing, mm. you know? Or I don't want to admit, or, or, or whatever. And 
and I and I've been there and I it is so nice to know that he knows. <laughs> he already knows. It's not a surprise. We feel like when we say a prayer and we're <clears throat> kind of confessing something that we're struggling with, that we're springing something on him. Like, I don't know if you know this, but I'm struggling with it. He's like, yeah, I know. You know, it's kind of like, like when a kid is covered in chocolate and they're like, okay, dad, I need to tell you something. <laughs> I got into the chocolate chip cookies and you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> But you still feel that affection towards that child because you're like, that's really hard. That's really difficult for you to come and, and admit that and say, I did something wrong and I, I want to make it right. And I'm sure that he's, I mean, he sees that and it's probably tenfold that he looks at us and he's like, wow, I know how hard that was for you to admit. And I know how hard it was for you to, to come to me and, and want to go through the process of repentance. But he, he came for everyone, right? And he wants everyone to do that. And a lot of times I think we we get scared because we're, we either feel like I should know better and now he's going to know that I did something wrong. He already knows. You might as well just go and say, hey, you know what's going on. This is what I'm working on and I need help because I'm slipping. That reminded me of this quote by President Holland, or Elder Holland. I keep calling everyone president. He'll eventually be president, I think. <laughs> Probably. Um, Quite certain. He says, however late you think you are, however many chances you think you have missed, however many mistakes you feel you have made, or talents you think you don't have, or however far from home and family and God you feel you have traveled, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement. Well, we're so used to a world of terms and conditions and having at the end of that, some exclusions apply. And in the or, list of or not, in Alaska or, credit, yeah, not in Alaska or Hawaii or Puerto Rico <laughs> or whatever, and there's a big long list of things where this does not apply. His terms and conditions under exclusions, it says nothing. It's infinite. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. Your willingness to want to change is all it takes. You don't need to come and prove us your credit. You know what I've found in, in the road to repentance? For me, when I felt, at times I felt like that. I felt like there were things about me I couldn't change. Or, or maybe I, even times where I felt I've gone too far. It's funny because what you mentioned when you said you just need to begin with a desire to change. And that desire, I view it as that first step into the Red Sea. And maybe it takes a second and a third. But that sea will part. And, 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 and that's faith. And you're not alone. And, and I think there's many people who and, and that feel that way. Uh, especially um, with, with depression and, 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 and things like that. You know, one of the biggest temptations is that you're alone and this is only happening to you. Mm. And, and somehow you're weak because you feel this way. 
And that is a lie. You know, we when we start weighing sins and comparing them, we start comparing and weighing people. And I think that's a thing, that's a tool that Satan uses to push us out, to say, you, you know, you... The atonement is infinite, but not for you, you know? Yeah. And that is a real sentiment. Did you guys get into the warnings and invitations section? Well, it says Jacob gave some important warnings and invitations. Then he gives us chapter 9 through 27 through 54. One of the ones that I found, um, well, there's a couple. Verse 29 is a very famous one. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsel of God. Yeah, and this is right at, well, in 28, he says, when they're learned, they think they're wise, and they hearken not to the counsel of God. And that that's the pride, right? When you think you know a lot about the gospel, or you think you know a lot about the world, then you're like, oh, yeah, that's cute, right. you know, that we have these primary lessons and stuff, but I need more than that. You know, it's like, no, it's good to be learned. It's good to know stuff. And it's good to want to learn, and it's good to become as educated as possible. But it also says, if they hearken to the counsels of God. Once you start thinking that you know more than God, <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. Doesn't it say, uh, if, you, if you are learned and you are, you know, it says carnally minded mm. is death. Yeah. And to be spiritually minded is life. So I thought that was interesting, too, like. All these people that are not really paying attention to the teachings of the Lord, they're carnally minded. So that's death as opposed to spiritually minded, which is eternal life, which I always thought was, thought that was actually kind of interesting. Well, and being carnally minded, you, you're, you're temporal. You're thinking about the things of this life, which are temporary. Exactly. Um, and yeah, you, once you're dead, and <laughs> then it's over. You know, if you're not thinking spiritually minded, then you're not thinking of anything beyond the temporal state that we're in, then it doesn't really profit you at all. I like the scripture in First Nephi chapter 16, 20 and 29, where it's describing the, I don't know that they call it the Liahona, or they call it the pointers which were in the ball, the Liahona, you know. <laughs> That they did work according to the faith and diligence and heed which we did give unto them. And there was also written upon them new writing, mm -hmm. which was plain to read, which did give us understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. And it was written and changed from time to time according to the faith and diligence which we did give it. And thus we see that by small means the Lord can bring about great things. I love plain and simple things. That's just my personality. You don't like calculus? I no, thank you. <laughs> but I I often even with my love of plain and simple things, sometimes when I'm going through troubles or I have something complicated at work or, or whatever, I tend to let my pride tell me that in the scriptures, you know, there's not an answer to my problem. You know, those, those are just very old writings, right? You know, uh, or I don't have time to say my prayer. I got I to gotta go. I got to drive. I got to get there. You know, or I'll say one very rush, you know. In, 
it's in the small and simple things that great things come about. You know? Yeah, it's like t- trying to teach your child. Uh, I, we are God's children. So I really enjoy ex- explaining things to my three-year-old. Oh, sorry. She's four now. She just, <laughs> she just turned four. And to see her mind go, oh, that's easy, Dad. I can do what you're asking. I can totally do that. You tried to explain that to my one-year-old. Not she, ready. Not ready. Yeah. It's not simple enough for her to, I mean, it's, she's still trying to, to catch up. So absolutely. But a lot of these things that are being taught, there's, there's no wording that no one could understand, you know, reading these scriptures saying, if you do this, you'll get this. If you don't do this, you're going to receive this. You can't get any. You can't get any simpler than that. So one, thank you for sharing that. I like that. One of the examples of exactly that is in verses twenty-three and twenty-four, and he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And if they will not repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end, they must be damned. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has spoken it. It's like, look, it doesn't get any clearer than that, you know, like. Repent and be baptized in his name, and you can have the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God. And if you don't do it, that, that's not available to you. Yeah, simple words. This wasn't uh, a letter, you know, uh, a lawyer in court trying to go round about it in a different meaning. I'm plain, simple, and direct. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, we get we get a lot of these warnings. The next one is, you know, to be rich and despise the poor, to be deaf and not hear, to be blind and not see, to to have a uncircumcised heart, to be a liar, a murderer, to commit whoredoms, to worship idols, and so on. But at the beginning, in the lesson, it points to us that it says in verse 3, Behold, my beloved brethren, I speak unto you these things that ye may rejoice. And lift up your heads forever because of the blessings which the Lord God shall bestow upon his children. This this is great warning and advice. But as we read it, we shouldn't think this is doom and gloom condemnation, yeah. right? It's given to us so we can rejoice. It's almost like giving giving you a map of of a trail with all the warnings. Here's a pothole. Here's this. Here's that. But enjoy the view. Just avoid the potholes, you know? Well, not only that, but you'd look at that map and you'd be like, oh my gosh, thank goodness everything's marked. Because if it wasn't, it'd be chaos. We wouldn't know what the heck we were doing. Right. And being able to have those kind of warning signs along the way, don't do this stuff, don't do that stuff, don't do this stuff, is a way to avoid all those pitfalls. And he also said, you know, in 40 it says, do not say that I have spoken hard things against you. For if ye do, you revile against the truth. For I have spoken these words of your maker. I know that these words are truth, of words of truth. So all these signs and whatnot, he's not saying, hey, guess what? Uh, I'm doing this for, to make it hard for you. I'm trying to protect you. And in verse 47, But behold, my brethren, it is expedient that I should awake. Is it expedient that I should awake you to the awful reality of these things? Should I harrow up your souls if your minds were pure? Would I be plain unto you according to the plainness of truth if you were freed from sin? He's basically saying, you know, truth hurts. 
And I'm going to be truthful. <laughs> and you and need, if you're not clean, you need this, this might advice. not feel good. Exactly. Yeah, you need this advice because you don't understand these principles. Yep. As soon as you understand them, then rejoice. Well, the, the, the next verse. <laughs> Behold, if, if you were holy, I would speak unto you of holiness. But as ye are not holy, and ye look upon me as a teacher, it must be, needs be expedient that I teach you the consequences of sin. You know, it, it kind of makes you wonder how different would this sermon have been if they were doing the right stuff, what would they have talked about? Exactly. Well, but but everyone, everyone needs to have this lesson. Everyone needs to hear this. Because there are moments when we are holy, and there are also moments when we are not. And the times when we're not is when we need to hear this the most. Guess what? There's a whole <laughs> long list of things you shouldn't do. And if you do them, you'll be condemned. But, and this goes back to that infinite atonement, right? If you have done them, it's not that you're beyond being saved, beyond redemption. Yeah. The infinite atonement kicks in. Behold, uh, in verse 50, Come, my brethren, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without any money and without price. It's available to you. You can have it. You just have to go get it. You just have to make the initiative, right? Yeah, make the initiative. And, and here's and here's the reason why. So let your hearts rejoice because of that. You know, in 52, it, you know, give thanks unto the Lord so that, you know, let your hearts rejoice. If if we didn't have this, how, how would we be able to rejoice knowing these things? There's one question at the end where it says, what will you do to remember these things when you feel discouraged? And when I thought of that, I was like, I don't know. And then I decided to read the scriptures it tells me to read. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> wow. But in verse 9, I mean, verse 9 is a little bit scary. Well, not scary, but you'll see. Uh, it's talking about our spirits. Um, if If there was no atonement... Um, and if our flesh should rise no more, it's saying if, if we weren't resurrected, it says our spirits must become like unto him, meaning Satan, and we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformed himself nigh unto an angel of light, and stirred up the heart of the children of men unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works. But then 10, here comes, here comes, <laughs> I, I like how Jacob explains things. Um, oh, how great the goodness of God, who prepareth a way for our escape yeah. from the grasp of this awful monster. Yea, that monster, death and hell, which shall call which I call the death of the body and also the death of the spirit. And because of the way and because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, this death of which I have spoken, which is temporal, shall deliver up its dead, which death is the grave. I I I see this almost like like the way that I teach my son. Like I'll tell him something like Listen, don't do this because something really bad can happen. <laughs> but if you do this, you never have to worry about that. 
if you wear your helmet, go down that hill, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? But if you don't wear your helmet... I'm not saying it will, but something could happen. But but <laughs> if it does, then we wish we would have. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know? And, and I kind of... You know, because that's a pretty heavy thing to hear. That if it wasn't for the atonement if, and the resurrection, we would become like Satan, like the angels to him, subject to him. But then he says, all the goodness of God who prepares the way to escape. And then I go back to that question. What will you do to remember these things when you feel discouraged? You know, it mentions one more scripture in John 16, 33. And I brought that up and it says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you should have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I really like that. I like the fact that our Heavenly Father and Christ and the prophets through the scriptures are telling us the bad things. It's going to feel bad. It's going to be demoralizing at times. But be of good cheer. <laughs> I have overcome it. And if, and, and if we as, as disciples of Christ, we follow his teachings, we too will overcome it. Yeah, I've, I've provided you with the tools to, to start that redemption also, you know. Ultimately, uh, it's a combination of our, our efforts and the grace of God to, to redeem us. But um, he's basically saying that the path is laid out, right? Here's, the, here's how you get started. And then in the end, I will make up the rest. It's just like that story, you know, you go halfway across a bridge, the Lord will meet you halfway. But if you don't go halfway across that bridge, how can he get, how can he get there for you? Yeah. Well, I think about the, the parable of the prodigal son. Mm. The son was eating with pigs. And then that's when he realizes the servants of my father have better to eat than this. <laughs> and it took him one accepting that and getting almost all the way home. And then when the father sees him a way off, because he's there looking every day waiting for his son, he ran towards him. And and it's I like how merciful and um generous our Savior is. The amount of love he has is just, there are, you know, the things that you do in life and things that you have done that you have repented of and you go, how can you, how can you love? But then also at the same time, I look at my, my little ones and I go, you're young, you're unlearned, but when you do something that you're not supposed to do, the amount of love I have, I, I have the hardest time that I, that, you know, that I, I, I can't raise my voice because I love him so much. And yes, there might be times I might need to be stern by saying, no, don't do that again. But it's because I love you. My dad always told me as a kid, be careful, be careful, go have fun, be careful. And I never understood that until I became a parent. And then I thought about that when I read this chapter nine about the atonement. The Lord is saying, go have fun. Be careful. I love you so much. I'm doing this for you. And 
don't know. It's just the simple little things that we were talking about that that hits home for me. When you were, I was looking at the scripture as you were, when you mentioned it, it fits perfectly when he says, uh, in verse 25, it says, Wherefore he hath given a law, and where there is no law given, there is no punishment. And when there is no punishment, there is no condemnation. And when there is no condemnation, the mercies of the Holy One of Israel have claim upon them because of the atonement, for they are delivered by the power of Him. One thing for me that has always stuck wrong with religion has been, what about the people who don't hear it? Mm. What about the people that lived in <clears throat> times when there wasn't a prophet or there was no priesthood on earth? What about the people over there? They don't have a TV. They don't have... This uh, or a Book of Mormon never got to, or a missionary never reached that hut, or or whatever. And he's just saying, "I will take care of them. They're yeah. not cast off." The very next verse says, "For the atonement satisfieth the demands of His justice upon all those who have not the law given unto them, or given to them, that they are delivered from that awful monster, death and hell, and the devil, and the lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment." And it's basically saying all of those who didn't have the chance, well, I guess it, what it's saying is we'll be judged according to our context. We'll be judged according to what we had knowledge of, what we were taught. And you're, you won't be held accountable for things you had no way of knowing. And I think that a lot of times when we hear, you know, if you don't do this, you're condemnation, right? And if the if this doesn't happen, and if you and if you, you haven't decided, baptize your baby, yeah, you know things like that. That yeah. that was a that's a very specific doctrine that the Book of Mormon refutes is the baptism of infants. Yeah, and I think even it comes to if you think you have a law and you're trying to live it, if you haven't been exposed to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a member of another religion and you are trying your best to follow that religion and that's the law that you have, as much of it that you have, that's what you'll be judged on, right? He'll look at it and say, okay, you were born in China in 1200, you know, you didn't have the gospel, but you did have a law and you were trying to live and be a good person. That's what you'll be judged on. And everyone does have the light of Christ. Yep. So, yes, there will be certain things that obviously you didn't know about, but those things that you did know about, absolutely, because it does say, but woe unto him that has given the law given, yea, all the commandments of God like unto us. But, yeah. You know, one thing I remember Elder Christofferson, or Christensen, he was a seven. So I saw him at Christensen in one of the talks I, I remember him listening to. He mentioned how, you know, he said everyone will get one real chance to accept the gospel. And, uh, and he even said even some people have only gotten a partial chance because of the agency of others, because of this. And because of him, you know, we all have a different way of interpreting information, way of learning, you know? 
and how much is affected by your parents, by your leaders, by your friends, by everything, you know? And and even, even you know, maybe even, uh, an, an, you know, for me, you know, maybe I still struggle with this. Danny, you'll probably say I do, but <laughs> but when I was little, reading reading comprehension was very difficult. I could read and read. I'm like, I don't remember anything. And now I see that little bit of my son, and and uh, and I have to think to myself, just be patient. And there are some people that they'll read something, and and in the in Moroni it tells us towards the end, tells us about the gifts, the gifts of the spirit. Some. It, they can believe on the words. Others can testify. Others can believe on those who testified. Yeah. You know, and I and I view that in the sense of there are many ways to come to Christ, and many experiences. Some will read the Book of Mormon and right away those, I know it. Some will have to study it, and 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 get there a different way, but. But so it is with all these principles. We're on the path, and that's why the gift of the Holy Ghost is so important because it will teach you, penetrate your heart to your understanding, you know? And um, so one of the things that we can do if we're struggling with our testimony, if we're struggling to know something, or if we just want a confirmation, we haven't felt it in a while, we, we want to feel again you know, is to do the simple things that invite the Holy Ghost and avoid the simple things that distract us from the Holy Ghost. And it's almost like a spiritual fast. We do it with food, and it's symbolic. It's supposed to be symbolic of we're going to set some things aside. We're going to break the routine the routine that we feel we need every day, like eating every day and drinking water. and We're going to break that symbolically to also teach us that maybe spiritually we need to have a break so we can feel again, so we can reset back to, to where we need to be. And, and I think that's very important to think about that because that in doing that, we exercise our faith. And I whenever I have done that, whenever I have sought diligently and honestly for a confirmation of the Book of Mormon or the Gospel of Jesus Christ or a principle, I have not been left disappointed. But it does take some preparation, right? I think in in Second Nephi chapter 8, kind of going back, in verse 24, it starts out, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments. In the, in the lesson manual, it kind of tells us how is waking up and getting dressed similar to what God wants us to do spiritually. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple, right? We have to do it every day. Well, most of us. <laughs> you have to wake up and you got to get dressed, right? And so how, how, is that, how do we do that spiritually? How is that spiritually executed? And I think just like we physically get dressed, there are certain things we have to do to spiritually prepare ourselves as well, um, every day when you wake up, are you saying prayers? Are you are you what are what are you doing to spiritually get dressed? You get what you give. You don't put forth effort. You don't get reward. Well, th that's the lesson of this mortal life. 
Yeah. By the sweat of your brow. Exactly. You know? By, and it's the same with anything. You want to learn to read, play the guitar, something, learn how to code or, or whatever. It's going to take effort. When someone's injured physically, it takes time to heal. But if you don't put forth that effort, like the doctor says, you'll never heal. If you don't take your medication, you'll never heal. <laughs> or, you know, the physical therapy and all that. Exactly. It won't yeah. be the same. Exactly. And I can testify to that three times over. Now, I, I come back to the original scripture I shared in, in chapter 6. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they that... For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow, and in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.